0: I hope you will not forget Psalm 101. In a service as we conduct them, a lot of ground is covered, many things are said, and yet it's our duty to remember what is said and to do it, right. not just to endure hearing it, but to hear it, retain it, and do it. Please remember the words, I hate the work of them that turn aside it shall not cleave to me. And with that thought in mind, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I don't have anything new to preach to you. I have something old to preach to you that I hope the Lord will make new and powerful to you to clean your life as was just prayed. We sang a song, Jesus calls us from numerous things in this world, and he does. And when he calls us, we're to follow him, and we should hate everything else that would distract us and take us away from following him. Right. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to read to you the first seven verses of this chapter. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diver's lusts, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Lord will bless the reading of his word if you'll read it with understanding. And I pray that he'll bless some understanding to you of this passage. I've taught this to you before, about nine years ago. Time flies, doesn't it? I want to teach it to you again, because it's part and parcel of what we need. Amen. And that is, we are to be a peculiar people in the earth, zealous of good works. Amen. We are to be like the psalmist we just read about. I will walk with a perfect heart in my house. I hate the work of them that turn aside. I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. It shall not cleave to me. Right. And here is what's not supposed to cleave to us. A list for us. Don't you like lists? Mm-hmm. don't you like the Lord to get simple and put it in a list for you? Amen. We only had to read seven verses, but we've got 20 problems. I like that. I need lists. I want to be able to look at a list and check it off in my soul before the Lord that those things are not cleaving to me. Right. Yes. And I want that for all of you. I want you to be gripped today by two things. One, the seriousness... Of these things. In that the apostle would call them perilous times. And second, that you would be gripped by how easily Satan distracts us to consider other things perilous times. That's that's it. Now is that simple? Mm-hmm. See, so you've got the list of 20 that God's given. And I, by his spirit, want to grip your heart by his spirit this morning. I can't do it. Never in my life have I felt so insufficient as I do these days as your pastor. Without me, he said, you can do nothing. Right. But Amen. this morning I trust him because he is the everlasting God and this is his eternal word. Amen. So I'm going to trust him to bless it to your hearts. Right. But I appeal to you to listen. This is not... This is not a sermon, like I've said before, that's to give you a nice sound. This is a sermon that's to give you a sense of a danger that we need to guard against. I want to perfect you this day by teaching you the distractions that you shouldn't let distract you and by teaching you the dangers that we better look out for and guard against and let them not cleave to us. I hope that noble hearers this morning are all saying, give me the full sense of this passage so that I can be a better Christian. I hope that every one of you are saying that. Give me the full sense so that I can be a better Christian. This know also. This is something that a minister of Jesus Christ was to know by the Apostle Paul by inspiration. This is something we don't want to be ignorant about. We want to know it. This know also that in the last days, Now, if you read your New Testament, you're going to find that everything from the time of John the Baptist and Christ forward are called the last days, because they are the last days from a Jewish perspective, because it was the time of the Gentiles and that would wrap up this earth. However, when they're used here, it's not talking about that whole 2,000 year period of time, maybe longer, maybe 2,000 years exactly, that extends from John the Baptist and Christ forward. It's talking about a period toward the end of that time because it's still future tense in Timothy's day. And Paul wrote this to Timothy about 60 A.D. He said that in the last days, he didn't call them these last days. He does elsewhere. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, he said, God hath in these last, day, in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Amen. These are some last days that are still out there. Perilous times shall come. Right. It comes in the future. Now, I want you to notice that word perilous. What does that word mean to you? Does that grip you this morning? Perilous, frightening, dangerous, risky, hazardous, dreadful, horrible, perilous. Or are we going to blow right by that word and want to get into the list of 20 things beginning in verse 2? I don't want to blow by it yet. I said my purpose this morning was to grip you with the importance of this of the dangers that we have and of distractions from these true dangers. Perilous. If the Lord, if verse 1 read this, this know also that if you attempt to drive home after this morning's service, it'll be a perilous time. What would you do? If you were told, if the Lord told you that going home today was going to be perilous for you and your family, where would you cheerfully spend this day and night? I say you'd book a room. I hope you would. Wouldn't you? I mean, if the Lord, if the Lord calls something perilous, it must be perilous. I want want you to understand the importance of that word. And if he were to say to you, "It'd it'd be perilous for you to go home today, I hope you'd want to book a room and wait till tomorrow. Well, he's told us, perilous times shall come, and brethren, they're here. If we get through this and you don't think they're here, you have another problem. Right. And, and being and, and in all kindness, I've got to call it this. It's in Romans chapter 1, without understanding. Right. The, the, I don't know how a man in, this, in the year 60 AD can write about another time in the future and not nail us down this closely. It's awesome. Amen. But you know why? Paul didn't write it. God wrote it as, as our brother prayed this morning. Perilous times shall come. The first thing that we need to realize is what perilous times are not. And everything I'm about to say, I say in all kindness, I've been there. I've been exposed to men who loved to be distracted with all sorts of things they thought were perilous. I've been exposed to them since the age of seven. That's the first time I can remember worrying about all the political affairs of our nation. Because a man stood in a pulpit in the church of which I was a member at seven years of age. That was 1964. And in the midst of all the youth rebellion in this country, and in all the problems that we had with communism and the Soviet Union, and Khrushchev and the rest, he said that by 1967, this nation would be taken over by the communists. Well, he didn't know what he was talking about then. And none of them knew what they were talking about in 1968 as we had race riots in various cities. And they didn't know what they were talking about in the 70s. And they didn't know what they were talking about in the 80s or in the 90s. They are satanic delusions to distract Christians from the real fight. Right. The real fight is spiritual. Amen. The real fight is if there is flesh and blood involved in what you're afraid of, you are fighting the wrong battle, you are wasting time, and you are discrediting yourself before your family and this church, and you're denying the only Lord God that bought us. Right. <clears throat> I remember that. I was petrified, seven years of age. I realized if they come in 1967, I'll only be 10, I can't drive, and I don't have very many guns yet. Now, isn't that a great way for a young man to grow up? I'm serious. All those thoughts were, and my father's here this morning, but thanks be to God, he saved us from all those delusions, and we're going to preach it this morning. I just want to clarify, I wasn't that preacher. He wasn't that preacher, (laughs) and I'm glad. Let's get that out of the way right now. It was a man named Dr. Al Dotson. Look at this text. We're, you know what's in verses 2 through 5 because I've already read it. But it says perilous times shall come. So we know what it does include, but what doesn't it include? Do you know what doesn't include famine? And do you know there have been famines that have wiped out great portions of the human race right. in the last 2,000 years that Paul could have written about? No famine. Right. Do you know what famine does? I want to tell you something. Everything that these fear try to get you to worry about, if they were to come to pass, they all make better Christians. it. It is prosperity and peace and freedom that destroys Christianity. Always has, always will. Every time God would bless Israel and deliver them from all their neighbors, what did they do? Go whoring after other gods. When would they get serious about their religion? When their children are being taken off to serve in foreign armies, their wives are being raped, and they're starving to death. They drop down to their knees and repent of their sins, and then God is found of them. Amen. How about a recession? You know, famine would be a failing of the food supply. How about a recession, a failing of the economic system? Have there been recessions and depressions in the 2,000 years since Paul wrote this? Yes. He ignores them. Why? Because a depression will bring you to your knees. And when you're brought to your knees, you're closer to God. When we're fat and ha- Listen, when God blessed Israel so that they were in a land flowing with milk and honey, with big cities and big armies and money flowing everywhere, what'd they do? Solomon starts offering children to Molech. Right. It's the least of our concerns. This is, verses 2 through 5 will give us all of our concerns. What about war? Have there been some major wars in the last 2,000 years? How many died in World War II? 40 million? 60 million? What was the total count worldwide? It was enormous. Ignored. God does not care about these things. They are so minor and insignificant. He'll take care of all of his people through those things. How about disease? Was there a black plague? Was there a flu in this country in 1918 that wiped out 600,000 in four months? Yes. Does he write about that? No, he doesn't care. How about pollution? Forget it. Mm-hmm. How about cults? Why didn't he warn us about some cults? Do you know how much easier it would be this morning for me to preach about Mormonism? I could have spent the week researching Mormonism for you, telling you about their holy underwear and their baptistries and their churches where you, I'm serious, they're just like the Masons. They wear holy underwear, consecrated in the temple. You don't, don't go asking about it at work. It will not make you friends. They're their baptistries for being baptized for the dead. I could have done all that. We could have talked about Joseph Smith and his multiple wives and what happened to him in Missouri when the citizens of that state killed him because of his wickedness and how Brigham Young was given charge of the people. We could go. We could get into all that stuff, and you'd go home feeling good that you'd learned something and that you were better than the Mormons. But that's not what I'm going to preach. Right. He didn't care about cults. And you know what? There's no warning in here about the United Nations. Isn't that amazing? No warning in this passage about perilous times coming that includes the United Nations or the USSR or UNICEF or the CFR or the Boy Scouts of America or any other subversive organization. They're all equally dangerous. The CFR has no more power over a Christian's life than the Boy Scouts of America. If the CFR could achieve all of its goals, if there even is a CFR, and if it even does have goals, if it could achieve them, let's make them as bad as we can possibly imagine them. I've heard about that organization since I was 11 years old. As bad as they are, let's just assume they're as bad as possible, and they achieve all of them, it'll be a boon to Christianity. Because again, we will have real saints worshiping the real God in a spiritual warfare, And not being distracted. Because the weak ones won't want to be Christians in such a day. They'll turn and destroy us. Brethren, all my life I've been exposed to rumors and fear mongers and prophets of doom who wanted to get me distracted and interested in reading about masonry. Why would I want to read one page about Freemasonry when the Bible says I'm supposed to be simple concerning things that are evil? Amen. One page. Why would I want to read one page? And I'm, appealing, I'm, I'm applying this to people that are very close to home. We're, some of us are more tempted in this area than others. The men that helped start us in the gospel were subject to this. Right. Who cares about the Rothschilds? Let them go to hell, or let Jesus Christ save them. You don't know them, never will know them, and they aren't going to affect your life. If they take away your job, it still hasn't affected your life. David said he's never seen the righteous begging bread. Never. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is the master of all Rothschilds, Rockefellers, Warburgs, Bilderbergers, and everybody else that you want to dream up that you think might be important in the world. They're not. There is someone important in the world and it's Satan. Mm -hmm. And it's a spiritual conflict. And right here is how he operates. And if we can avoid these 20 things, we'll be saved. If we can hate these 20 things and not let them cleave to us, we'll be (coughs) saved to apostolic Christianity. I'm going to preach further on this at some time. I don't have time to deal with it at length. I have been exposed to over 100 rumors since 1964 when I heard my first rumor that the communists would take over America in 1967. I want to list all 100 of those and see how many you've been involved in at some time and show that they were all distracting lies because they were all untrue. This nation is better off right now than it has been in the 40 years since those rumors started. Isn't that incredible? Somebody hates the Federal Reserve System. I know the Federal Reserve System uses a fraudulent method of expanding the money supply in a nation. So what? Look at the prosperity it's given us. You say it's not sustainable prosperity. Well, it's been there since 1913, and now it's the year 2000. That's 87 years. That's pretty sustainable. Because I want to tell you who's sustaining the prosperity of this country. Right. It isn't Mr. Greenspan. Right, it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Alan Greenspan speaks, and everybody wants to listen. He doesn't have a foggiest thing. Of what, he doesn't know what he's doing, and he can't do anything. But I want to tell you, someone who knows what he's doing, exactly knows what he's doing, Jesus Christ of Amen. Nazareth. And I believe he's judging this nation. Right. He's burying us in prosperity just to give us what we want, and he has sent leanness into the soul of this nation, and a profaneness and a total disregard for him. And brethren, that's the scariest thing. Amen. If, he were to, if he were to send poverty to this nation, it wouldn't be nearly as scary because it would drive us to seek the Lord. We'd be, we'd be seeking the Lord for our children's next meal. Let me give you a recent example. Y2K. Y2K is a great example of some Christians giving in to fear. That thing was a total lie from the beginning. A total, complete lie. December 31st of last year ended up being less than nothing. It was the calmest, quietest New Year's Eve that our armed forces and other officials in positions of power and responsibility have ever seen. Nothing happened anywhere in the entire earth. When you have most of the earth out partying, drunk, with, all, with, with no regard for morality, nothing happened worldwide. And we were given the blessing of sitting with a big screen TV and just watching it start over there in the island of Tongo and just march through Tokyo, Sydney, Moscow, Europe, London, Paris, and finally make it to the United States and nothing happened. But if you were to go read a lot of Christian literature that was out there for the last two or three years, And by Christian, I mean men who say, I am a Christian. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ or anything that the Apostle Paul would have us concerned about. But men who say they were Christians, provoking a great sense of doom and fear, I mean, some of them went so far as the book of Revelation is going to be fulfilled immediately upon Y2K occurring. Nothing happened. Not a computer in the world failed. You say you forgot about those five dog racing Terminals at, uh, in New Jersey. That's what I said. Not a single computer failed in the entire earth. Here, brethren, all of you, listen. Here's what happens. Satan has used men, fear mongers like that, for the last 40 years in our nation to take a group of conservative Christians and take them off the path right. of a spiritual battle and get them involved in political campaigning, political projects and other learning expeditions to learn more about this and that conspiracy or this and that problem in society and take them off of the real fight. And the real fight is, can you turn your television off? The real fight is, can you stop jesting about our lives and get sober about seeking the Lord and having a spiritual relationship with Him? But it is so... Listen, I would rather fight those things. I would rather be studying Mormonism in my flesh. Understand me. I would love to study all that stuff for you. I'd love to have evening services built on Christian patriotism in my flesh. Because it's easier. Right. <coughs> Since I use that word, I want to say this. In God's dictionary, there is no such thing as a Christian patriot. Patriotism and Christianity are opposed to each other. They claim that the two are the same because they think the United, Nation, the United States is somehow God's country. It's not. It wasn't started by God's people. And it hasn't been continued by God's people. And those ruling it right now are not God's people. Brethren, we are pilgrims and strangers in the earth. Amen. And if there ever was a land, if there ever was a land that was God's land because it's called God's land, it was, it was Palestine. And Abraham, when he was in it, Said that he wasn't interested at all in all that land because he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He looked for a heavenly country. The minute we get our eyes off of heaven and down on this earth and think that this nation is God's nation, we've been greatly misled. I don't care what videos you've watched that take quotes out of context by the founding fathers of our nation, they were not God fearing, Bible loving Christians. All you have to do is read their documents. Instead of hunting into some book to find some obscure quote of theirs, read their documents. Read the Bill of Rights and read the Constitution and read our Declaration of Independence. They are instruments of anarchy. They rebelled against a king that God had given them. Satan distracts. There are three words I want you to remember. They start with D. And I want you to think about Y2K. It is such a distraction. There were so many books written, and there's one man that I want to name, Gary North. Now, he should be strung up somewhere. If there were any God-fearing men in this country who lost composure for just a few minutes, they would have taken Gary North and strung him up because he's a liar. He's always been a liar. He has done this for over 20 years. I have read his books 20 years ago. The books about Y2K were the same books from 20 years ago with a new cover page put on them. Same chapters about how to store everything because 20 years ago the world was going to come to an end. And then 15 years ago it was going to come to an end, then 10, then 5. and five, Listen, you won't have to wait 5 years. He'll have a new one. Because those fear mongers are used by the devil to constantly keep us distracted so that we can't get our feet planted firmly on the ground and take charge of our families in the spiritual war we have. Amen. If there is flesh and blood involved in a fear, it is not a fear that God wants us afraid of. It is not a battle we are to be fighting. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It It is against something far above any council of the Illuminati or anyone that have ever sat together and thought that they could conspire to take over the earth we are talking about a conflict much higher than that. Spiritual wickedness in high places, and that doesn't mean Congress. That means the high places of the angelic host where Satan and his demons are working to destroy us. And do you know how they destroy us? They get us off fighting the windmills of political problems and social problems. Such fears distract us. So when we read about perilous times, let's make sure that we know what perilous times are. If we get let off course, Satan has a ac- Satan is sitting back on his easy chair with his hands behind his head, looking at us beating ourselves against the wall with no good accomplished. Because the good that he fears is Psalm 101. It's men standing in their homes. Do you know how much energy it takes? Energy and time and dedication to love your wife and children the way that God wants us to is a full-time job. To truly love your wife the way the Bible says, to truly train your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is a full-time job. To fulfill, Psalm 101 is a full-time job. If you're distracted by fighting abortion, by fighting this, by fighting these different social problems, which the New Testament doesn't have a single sentence about. And brethren, do you know what the apostle Paul was under? He was under the Roman Empire. Do you know anything right. about the Roman Caesars? Do you, do you recollect anything about their evil? Do you know the evil that was going on in the Roman Empire? Paul doesn't have one word to say except: submit, obey, honor and pay tribute. Right. Tribute is far worse than our income tax. Tribute is a tax imposed by a foreign oppressing power. Right. Surely God didn't mean that. If they're a foreign oppressing power, then they don't have right, they don't have a right to be in this nation. They have a right to be in the nation because God let them in. Amen. Do you realize no nation can take over another nation unless God purposes that to happen? Right. Amen. So you pay tribute. You know, taught, you know what, right, right now we need to be afraid of something. Yesterday, Yesterday, the Taiwanese voted and put in an opposition independent party that mainland China had said that if you elect that man, there's going to be immediate war with Taiwan. And yesterday that happened. Those Taiwanese, 28 million strong, thumbed their nose at 1.2 billion on the mainland and elected the opposition party. We should get all concerned. We could get into a war. There could be a nuclear holocaust. Let's start building bomb shelters and putting in God we trust over the door. That happened yesterday. What will happen next week? Something will happen. I guarantee you. Do you know what we get with all this internet garbage? More news than we need. Amen. More news than we need because we know what's going on everywhere. We don't, I can't keep up with seven children, a son-in-law, two grandchildren, a wife, and a congregation. That's a full-time job. Last night talking with the children, what if we did get into war with China? What if we did get into war with China? I have, I have sons. None of you in here are going to lose what I'm going to lose if we got into a serious war, do you know what we'll do? We'll trust the Lord. If they have to die serving a foolish nation in a battle on the other side of the earth, we'll trust the Lord in that matter. And if they were to take over this country and impose taxes on us, one of our chapters we read last night was Romans 13, what would that tax be called? It would be called a tribute tax. We would be under tribute because they'd be the foreign oppressing power. We'd pay it. Such fears distract Christians by just getting them off track. And when Satan can get us off track, we are not doing what the Lord wants us to do. And therefore, Satan has won in his conspiracy against Christianity. Right. He has taken us off course. You say, but I was taken off course by people who claim to be Christians. Most of our nation claims to be Christian. And they're not. Not the Christianity of the Bible. Right. Right. Look what's happened in the last 40 years. It is amazing. I mean, when Elvis Presley first started gyrating on television back in the 1960s, everybody thought in the late 50s, early 60s, the world was coming to an end. Has it come to an end? Where it's come to an end is where Christians have not fought to keep these things out of their lives enough. Right. We have greater peace. We're the most powerful nation on earth. Ostensibly so, only God knows. Right. Because if he blows against a nation and blesses another, things can change overnight. Amen. Amen. He raiseth up kings and putteth down kings. Right. He changes the times and the seasons. Not There's the first D, Satan distracts us, but Satan also discredits us. What did I just say about Gary North? Gary North is a liar. Everybody who knows anything about Gary North knows he's a liar. He's done it over and over and over again. He does it to make money. Lots of people made money off the suckers who believed them about Y2K. And we're all, we can all be suckers, and I was a sucker on many of those things. So if you feel hurt because I'm calling you that, so was I. I wasted a lot of time in my life reading all the books of the John Birch Society. Did I learn anything of value? Not one sentence. Because the conflict is not with those conspiracies. The conflict is with Satan and our flesh and the world for Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not for the United States against anybody or anything. I was, I was caught up in all of that as, a teen, as an early teenager. And I've read books on masonry. And I've read books about Catholicism. And I've read this and I've read that. And brethren, I've had trouble in my life. And the trouble's been of a spiritual nature that I wish I could go back and undo, and I was distracted to fighting conflicts that didn't address the real issue, that the heart of Jonathan Crosby was being lost. We get discredited. Those men who are constantly believing, first of all, you can't believe something unless you read it. If you get newspapers into your home like the Spotlight and other things like that, that haven't said anything true in 40 years, if... Prove me wrong. If you get things like that into your home and you read them and you believe them and then you quote them and then you do what they say and then it's all proven to be a lie like it has for the last 40 years, what happens? You are discredited. That's the second word with D. You are discredited, so nobody's going to believe you anymore. So that when you do come along and you do get convicted about something that you ought to be fighting, When you do get convicted about something spiritual, true, and godly, and you say it, it's like the boy crying wolf. I know I'm extreme in my generalizations. Exceptions do not nullify a general rule. All the publication of those newspapers has not done anybody any good when it comes to true value measured by the word of God and true Christian spirituality. No good at all doesn't do you one bit of good to know what bills are going through congress it doesn't do you one bit of good to read somebody's hallucination about what took place in 1860 between karl marx and someone else and john engels doesn't do you a bit of good it's a waste of time and it's a distraction because once you've read it you think well now i'm better equipped no you're not you're less equipped because the time you spent reading that you didn't reading that you didn't read the word of god Amen. and it's the word of god that we need The third D is that such fears deny God by allowing an ungodly fear of events. Whenever we get concerned about these little things happening in life and we take these great precautionary measures, we're showing that we lack trust in God. Because at some point we ought to realize people have been saying stuff like this for 6,000 years and it doesn't happen. There's Chicken Littles all the time that are saying the sky's falling, but the Lord says, "Put your trust in Me." Now I read. I wanted to read Psalm 27 this morning, but Psalm 27 says, "Though the earth should rise against me, though huge a host should encamp against me, I will not fear." Amen. Where is where is that confidence in the God in God in those circles of conservative so called conservative people? who were led off fighting all these windmills. You don't hear them talk that way. Because if they ever talk that way, their whole agenda collapses into nothing. Mm -hmm. They have to create fear. Brethren, in Revelation chapter 21, it describes those that will populate the lake of fire. What is the first descriptive adjective about those people? Fearful. Fearful. What's the second descriptive adjective about those people? Unbelieving. Have hell will be filled with the fearful and the unbelieving. People that are afraid of what government is doing, people that are afraid of what our educational system is doing, people that are afraid of our entertainment industry, and I'm not afraid of it. I'm just telling you to get rid of it. People that are afraid of war, people that are afraid, what does that show? What is that proof of? They don't have confidence in God. Because if you had real trust in God, you wouldn't be afraid. He will take care of you. Amen. He said he would. Amen. If we can't believe that promise, we can't believe anything he said. Do you know what? He told us what we should fear. Fear not them which are able to kill the body. Now that's, as bad, that's a conspiracy. Let's, who's out to get us right now? What's the current edition of Spotlight say? Who's out to kill us? Who's out to kill our bodies? Do you know what Jesus would say? That's the worst thing that can happen to us on, on earth. The medical profession's out to kill us all. Some, the government, the, the army's experimenting with things to kill us all. Okay, let's say that's true. Let's say it's true. It's totally under the control of God, but let's say it's true, and it's getting out of his control, and they're about to get us. Jesus would say, "'Fear not them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell.'" Yea, I say unto you, fear Him. Amen. That's Luke 12, 4 and 5. Amen. Let that, that fear should so grip us of wanting to please that God that we look at 2 Timothy 3 and we just say, I'm going to forget everything else and go after the things that God doesn't like so right. that I can please Him because I'm afraid of displeasing Him. If his fear was the chief fear in our lives, these things would be our concern because they are his concern. Satan has had political preachers doing this kind of distracting work for generations and thousands of years, I'm sure, though I haven't searched history to find them all. I just know that in 40 years I've been exposed to a lot of them. Men like Gary North claim to be Christians always afraid of something and trying to get God's people afraid. Men like Carl McIntyre and the 20th, what was it called? The 20th century Reformation Hour or something like that? Constantly. He claims to be a minister, but he's always talking about what's going on in Congress. Who gives a rip? Congress is nothing. Do you want to know about something? Why don't you study the principalities and powers of the New Testament and the Old Testament that God's concerned about? For we have an adversary and he's walking around seeking whom he may devour. We have one. And he wins whenever we take off the armor of God and lay it in the closet and go off and fight City Hall. He wins. We ought to be putting on the whole armor of God as we sang in that one song. Did you guys notice? You guys. That gives me away. But brethren, did you notice in that one song where it said put on each piece of the armor of God and put it on with prayer? Did you... Did you sing that? That's what we need to be doing. And then opposing and standing in the evil day and having done all to stand against Satan. Right. Remember, he doesn't come and say, I'm the devil. How would you like to worship me and turn your back on Jesus Christ? Because after all, I hate him. And don't you want to hate him too with me? He comes and says, did you know what bill Congress is about to pass this week? Shouldn't you be calling your congressmen and representatives and reading 40 pages on it and getting a couple books on it and going to a couple of meetings? Then he wins. Perilous times shall come. Here's what I want you to... Let's move on. That That is the distraction that we need to avoid. We all as fathers, husbands, fathers, men in this assembly need to be gripped, sold out, convinced, zealously committed to a conflict. But it's the conflict that the Lord gives us, Amen. not the conflict that these fear give us. Amen. That was my first point. Amen. The next point is, what should we be concerned about? I want you to notice that it says, This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Does shall come mean that those perilous times were not there yet? That wasn't a hard question. Does shall come mean the perilous times were not there yet? Okay, they weren't there yet. Were men in that day blasphemers? Were men in that day covetous? Sure. Were men in that day despisers of those that are good? I would say so. They hacked Paul's head off crucified Peter upside down, killed our Lord Jesus Christ, I'd say that's a despiser of those that are good. Well, now, what does he mean giving us that list of descriptions, that that descriptive list? Get this. This is very important to understand this passage. This warning is of a carnal Christianity that would come. It did not exist in Paul's time. In Paul's time in the early days of the Christian church, when there were people being sacrificed and all their goods being taken, you didn't have carnal Christianity like this. This is not a warning about the world going into sin. The world's always been in sin. The Bible says the whole world lieth in wickedness. This is Christianity going into this. That ought to grip you. Do you know why? Let me ask this question. Have we, you and me, Personally, ever been guilty of any of the things in this list? Yes. God forgive us. That is why I'm preaching this passage. We have been, and I don't ever want to be guilty again, especially when it draws its conclusion. This is a warning of carnal Christianity. All generations have had these sins. So there must be a difference that he's talking about something in the future. Where the church of Jesus Christ would drift into living like this. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The world living like this has never been perilous to a Christian. Right. The Christian looks at the world, holds his nose, and knows that the whole world stinks. We already said that this morning in Psalm 101. I hate the work of them that turn aside. A Christian already sees that huge gulf. This is Christianity. These men have a form of godliness. It's a practice of Christianity, but look at their lives. These men love pleasures more than God. The world doesn't love God at all. These are men that say they love God. They may love God to some degree, but they love pleasures more than God. This is weak, powerless, hypocritical Christianity. You know, as long as there were martyrs, you didn't have to worry about this. That's why what I said earlier, brethren, if all, if all their doom, if none of them have come true, but if sometime they would forecast doom for our country and the doom would occur, it would help Christianity because immediately it would draw a big line in the sand and say, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, get on this side where you could lose your life. And if you're not quite ready to lose your life for Jesus Christ, well, you're welcome over here too. You can pull the trigger on the guys on the other side. But see, there is no line like that drawn in America today because Christianity has descended into the abyss of these 20 descriptive phrases of sin. And Paul's telling Timothy to turn away from such men. Why would he have to say, from such, turn away? Timothy wouldn't be near the pagans of this world because they'd be Christian brethren. Right. From such, turn away. This description is so accurate, it's amazing. Let's quickly look at the list. Don't worry, I know what time it is. If we, if we fully grasp the danger of being distracted, the first point's been accomplished. Right. But now do we fully grasp the danger of Christianity looking like this? And this is perilous times, Amen. and we're in them. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. The whole world is taken by a humanistic an existential philosophy that the cure for all psychological problems, emotional problems, and relationship problems is you need to love yourself more. Do you hate that? Now, I hate the work of them that turn aside. James Dobson is one of the leading Christian proponents of that heresy. Do you hate him? I've never met him. I don't care to meet him. I don't care what he's like as a person. All I know is that what spews out of his mouth is humanistic, psychological babble. And that this verse says that it's a description of less than the best or perilous times. Perilous! Because he creeps into houses and leads captive silly women because the majority of his audience is women. Anybody who focuses on the family is a woman's program. He is so effeminate Ever heard him talk? Get in touch with your... He is in touch with his feminine side. Just just listen to him and then line up his character with the Old Testament. Line up his character with a Caleb, with a David, with a Joshua, with an Abraham who simply command their households after them. I don't see anything in Abraham's life about sitting down and asking Isaac about his feelings. I read that he took that boy and took him up onto a hill and tied him up and laid him on an altar and was going to kill him. Now, how would you do that with James Dobson's tender approach to life? We could go on and on. We can't. Men shall be lover. The reason I did all that about James Dobson is because he, to me, is the number one teacher in America today that fits this chapter. Because he fits it so perfectly, because he creeps into houses while husbands are away at work and has radio programs that draw the women of our nation. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. What does the Bible tell us very plainly? We all love ourselves plenty. And if we could ever learn to love other people like we love ourselves, we would then be fulfilling the entire law. Isn't that true? Do any of you think you hate yourselves? You say, but I'm depressed this morning. I must hate myself. No, you're depressed this morning because other people aren't loving you as much as you love yourself, so you're depressed about that. That's That's how depression works. It is. It is. You're always disappointed that other people aren't treating you the way you think you should be treated. And that isn't a problem of a lack of self-love. That's too much self-love. They call it the self-esteem movement. Listen to these words. Lord, listen to this. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind... That is not a good self-image. But in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem other better than themselves. Amen. Did you hear that? This is the word of God. Which do you want to believe? Amen. There's a line in the sand. The Savior's saying, which one do you want? Let each esteem other better than themselves. They teach you got to esteem yourself. Self-esteem. That person's suffering from a lack of self-esteem. That is never the case. God doesn't know about it. Ain't a word, not a verse in the whole 31,000 of them telling us anything about esteeming ourselves more right it tells us to esteem others more amen all men shall know that ye are my disciples by the love you have one to another not with the love that you have for yourself right. and brethren okay what do we do with perilous times everybody likes to take precautions I mean Y2K <laughs> came along and there were people that just sold themselves out to taking precautions other things have happened in other years and we took precautions. I mean, it's time to buy guns. It's time to put a year's cash under the mattress. It's time to do this and do that. What can we do? It's to guard our children and to guard our families and to guard our wives from this heresy. Let's not teach our children to love themselves. Let's not puff our children up about themselves. Let's teach our children how to love others and how to serve others and how to give to others and how to humble themselves and not to think of themselves too highly, but to esteem others better than themselves. Do you want a project? That's a project. Amen. If you can get your children to truly <laughs> esteem others better than themselves, you are a champion for the cause. Amen. That is a, that's a conflict. You know what those little children have inside of them? Their heart is this big, and the love of themselves is this big, And they squeeze it all in. Isn't that amazing? For you to get them to love others, that is what the Lord calls us to. And brethren, we ourselves, men, fathers and husbands, do we love ourselves or do we want to give ourselves for our brethren in this assembly? That is a a project. That's a conflict. And there is an adversary right here. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous. We preached on that just a couple of weeks ago from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. These men will come along saying that gain must be evidence of godliness because they're covetous. It's that religion of more, more, more. I got to get ahead. Are any of you ever guilty of covetousness? Yes, we are in this society. You walk into work and somebody else gets a promotion that was on the same level you are. Do I need to ask you what goes through your heart or do I know what goes through your heart? When you find out that someone else has just upgraded their house from your $120,000 level to a $270,000 level, do I need to ask you what goes through your heart? It's more, more, more in this country. It'll be covetous. And these are Christians, brethren, who get spotted, stained, and drowned in these things. And we don't want to let them cleave to us at all. We want to hate the work of them that turn aside. And every one of these are Christians that have turned aside we got to move. Boasters, talking great things about themselves. You know, today it's accepted for an athlete to get on television and talk about how great he is. Proud. That haughty, arrogant attitude about oneself. God hates pride. It's one of the seven things in Proverbs chapter 6 that he hates. Satan's sin was pride that got him tossed out of heaven. He was the crowning cherub of God. You want to get rid of pride? Think about Moses, the meekest man on the face of the earth and how he conducted himself. Emphasize private prayer in your life. A man that's got pride doesn't have much in the way of private prayer because private prayer is the opposite of pride. I didn't say prayer because proud men love to pray. I said private prayer. You want to, I'm trying to give you some antidotes right now. Pride, see how much you can pray in private with no one else knowing. And I don't mean letting the door slip open so that the family can see Holy Father in there. Another thing you can do about pride is to get down and serve and love your enemies and those lower than you. By lower than you, they're not really lower than you, but those that God hasn't gifted as much as you that you naturally would look down upon, go serve them and love them. Your enemies that have hurt your feelings in the past, go love them. You'll cure your pride. Because you won't be able to do it unless you cure your pride. Right. Oh, but remember, if you go do that, don't let anyone else know about it. Because if anyone else finds out about it, then you did it for them, not for the Lord. Right. Pride. There's a way. And brethren, I don't think this morning that the key is for me to give you a careful definition of each of these because I think you're smart enough and wise enough and the English language is plain enough for you to know what these words mean. I think the key is, can I grip your heart not to be distracted with other fights and can I grip your heart to really hate these things and want to go home and look at this passage at least one more time this week? Right. But these are things that Christians can slip into. We read after pride, blasphemers, making fun of God or having an irreverence toward God, coming into these assemblies and yapping about everything else but the Lord. Ever heard the joke about St. Peter and the Episcopal and the Lutheran and the Baptist preacher? Forget it. That's blasphemy. You don't make. You aren't going to be pulling stuff like that when you meet him. Right. And you're going to regret that you ever let anything like that come out of your mouth or go in your ear. Do you know how I know that? Isaiah chapter 6. What gripped Isaiah so badly? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We're too light when we talk about God. And isn't that true of of much of Christianity today? And we want to make sure it's not true of us when we come into this place to worship God. We want to lift Him up high. We don't want to do anything to puff ourselves up or to treat Him lightly. Disobedient to parents. A breakdown of authority. Christians today do not practice. Christians are putting up bumper stickers. Kids, you can't beat them as fast as anyone else. But the Bible says you got to beat them. And if you beat them, you love them. And if you beat them, you'll save their souls from hell. Fathers, what are we going to be? These are perilous times right here if we let these things slip. If you listen to the world, if you let your wife listen, if you let your wife read Christian books, like Dare to Discipline. Can you believe that? He took the title, this is years ago, 20 years ago, James Dobson wrote a book, Dare to Discipline. There isn't any discipline in it. Read the book. There isn't any discipline in it. All he says is when Johnny really gets bad and taking away his popsicle isn't enough, you are to pinch his trapezoidus muscle. Now, listen, I've got a concordance it's supposed to be exhaustive. I have I have searched that thing to try to find trapezoidus muscle and pinching, in there and I can't find it. But that's what he says. He's the hero of American child training, the hero of Christian American child training. There isn't a rod or beating or a back mentioned in Dare to Discipline. Dare to be what? Dare to be a wimp and give up on my family? You heretic! Why am I speaking like that? Here's why. Psalm 101, I hate the work of them that turn aside. Amen. It shall not cleave to me. And brethren, I don't want it to cleave to you right. or we are on a bus load. We are on a bus to go into this category and fl- fail. Right. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Brethren, let's make sure our church is full of thanksgiving. And we, we do that. Let, but let's be better at it. Let's bless the Lord at all times for his goodness toward us. Has any nation ever enjoyed the benefits that we enjoy ever in the history of the world? Not even close. But how much thanksgiving is going up? You know that Congress that sits there in Washington? Every day should be opening up with thanksgiving. We should have a thanksgiving day every week in this country. Look at how we've been blessed. But Christians would become unthankful. And you know what we do more than give thanks? We complain because we don't have it as good as someone else or we're not getting the full basket of goodies that we think that we should be. It's amazing. Let's be thankful, people. Unholy. I preached on that three weeks ago. God has called us to holiness because he's holy. We don't make a difference anymore between the holy things and the profane things. It's broken down everywhere. What we watch with our eyes. If we truly were a holy people, you couldn't watch but a very, very small amount of the programming on television. It's profane. It dishonors God. Holiness. What we watch. What we allow ourselves to hear. What we read. What we say. How we live. How we let our children date. How we let our children think. There, is, Everything is to be brought into conformity to the word of God. Amen. Without natural affection. There's the sodomites. And it's easy to look at that without natural affection and see so-called Christian sodomites, and do we have them in this country? Yes. Our church is dedicated to making a home for our poor sodomite brothers. They don't call them that. They don't like that word. You know why they hate that word? Because it reminds them of a five-lettered town from the Old Testament. What did God do to that little town? Did he provide a home for them? Fire and brimstone from heaven. Without natural affection. But you know, when I look at those words, I go a little bit beyond that. And I see things like abortion in there also. That is without natural affection. Truce breakers. No one keeps their word anymore. Do you know the Bible says that a yay and a nay should be all that you need? Anything beyond that is unnecessary. You should be able to take a man's hand, put your arm around him, or look him in the eye and say, yes, I'll do that. And that's as good as gold. That's That's just as good as any contract that could be written. But Christians will be men not of their word. False accusers, slandering, whispering, harming one another with statements about them. We want to guard ourselves against that. We want to be sober, careful, and kind in what we say about others. Incontinent, that is undisciplined. And you know, we have a whole generation coming up that is very undisciplined. They haven't been taught from childhood to be disciplined. Little tiny children can learn self-discipline if you will discipline them. And self-discipline is the key to a successful life. Because that's what we've got to practice all the time. It's Christian temperance. Incontinent is the opposite of temperance. Temperance is self-discipline. You know, instead of self-esteem, let's practice a self thing. Let's practice self-discipline. That's governing and ruling and controlling our passions and desires and thoughts. All you have to do is go watch one of these little soccer games between 6, 8, 10, 12-year-olds, and they're just all wanting their own little way and wanting to do their own little thing, and they haven't been taught the discipline of sitting still and governing their passions and desires. When your child wants a drink of water, he don't need the drink of water right then. Teach him some self-discipline. I mean, it's a whole subject of study because that's all of life, right. disciplining your desires. Incontinent in First in Corinthians chapter 7 is applied by the Apostle Paul to the sexual relationship of marriage That if a man and his wife are not having regular relations, then it's going to create the problem of incontinence because they'll be unable to control themselves elsewhere. Fears. A Christianity that is fierce. You say, how can you call it a Christianity that's effeminate, but then find the Word of God giving you a word called fears? Go in and preach a sermon like this in one of their churches. Right. Amen. Go in and tell them that celebrating Christmas is a pagan holiday, and it's serving the devil and not the Lord Christ. You'll find out just how fierce the Christians of today are. Take a stand on anything except all their distractions. Take a stand on anything according to the word of God. And I mean a stand. You'll find out how fierce they are. Go blast away against self-love and self-esteem and see how fierce Christians can be today despisers of those that are good. Brethren, we read in Psalm 101 that that man that has a perfect heart, I want him to dwell with me. I want him to work for me, David said. But today, they despise those that are good. The more conservative a man is, the less audience he gets, and the more ridicule he gets. By Christians. And while I don't agree with all that's gone on the past couple of weeks with Bob Jones University... I know that for the most part, that Bob Jones III has tried, to t- Dr. Bob Jones III has tried to take a stand for righteousness in several ways. But look at what he has suffered and that school has suffered nationwide and from Christian circles. They can't stand him because he takes a stand. They won't take a stand on anything except nobody better take a stand against us. It's pitiful traitors, unfaithful and unloyal, heady, that's impulsive and rash in making decisions, high-minded, there they are puffed up again in pride and thinking that they can think better than God and come up with a new way of worshiping Him than the Word of God. They can change or alter the doctrine of God as set forth in the Scriptures. And then we come to this, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. This is a This is characteristic number 18 in this list. Men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And we are not talking about the world. We are talking about the Christian church. America loves sports. How many today are either at or watching sports? And how many are at or participating in a true worship service to the God of heaven? Credible. What will Christians do today? They'll suffer and endure through some little service based on entertainment and then rush home to fill themselves with sports. Remember, it's the NCAA championship time. They've got their menu, and it doesn't fail. As soon as this is over, it's about time for the NBA. And baseball starts, and it just goes on and on and on and on. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Recreation, amusement, pets, entertainment, just fill their life with pleasures Instead of God, how many Christians in this country, we got to ask this about ourselves because that's more important than about them, truly love to worship God and to hear the Bible preached. That's a measure because we have right here lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Where would you rather be watching a movie at an amusement park on your boat hunting than in, the place, than in the house of God, worshiping Him and listening to preaching. We make daily decisions that indicate this relationship in our lives. Right. Today, as soon as we leave here, we'll make a decision about how much the love of God and the love of pleasure is in our life and how they relate to each other. We will walk out of here and start making those decisions. A, a person that truly loves God will not want to lose what he's heard We'll go home and thank God for what he's heard. We'll review what he's heard. We'll think about what he's heard. This is the Lord's day, supposedly. At least it used to be considered that. And he'll commit himself to following what he's heard. He will not go out of here and immediately engage in three different activities to blow what he's heard out of his mind. And Satan wants you to do that. He's got more venues out there for you to blow what I'm saying out of your mind than I can even list. What will we do? And tomorrow we'll make another choice. Will we have time for reading the Word of God, training our family in the Word of God, not checking on their homework? That is not training your children in the Word of God. That's not being a great father. A great father is bringing their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. (coughs) Or will you get home to pursue your own means of pleasure? We're all going to make those choices. Then it says they'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. That word power, what does that word mean? Authority or rights. It's the same word used in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when it talks about a wife and a husband and their rights or authority over the other's body. But it uses power. Here it uses power. It's authority or rights. They have a form of godliness but they deny that God has the right or the authority to dictate how they worship and how they live. And so we have Christianity with all sorts of services today and entertainment vehicles instead of the preaching of God's word. And we have Christians that are living in their lives with a form of godliness. They go to church on Sunday, but they are not letting God dictate what they watch on the television, what they say, what they read, who they hang around with. And that's the authority of true Christianity. It's that Jesus Christ has called us out of this world to be different. Amen. All right. They have a form. <clears throat> yes, I'm a Christian. If they filled out some survey, they'd check Christian. They go to church on Sunday. But they don't allow God to dictate what they believe, think, and do and say at home. Brethren, we can fall into that easily. We want a spiritual religion that has power and authority in it because God does have the right to dictate how we live and we should be thankful that he's given us his Bible to tell us how to live. Right. This religious form will have teachers that'll creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This, this is so descriptive of today, I cannot imagine how it could be worded any better than what we've got today. Those teachers of this kind of a weak powerless religion, creeping into houses, and leading captive silly women. Now, not all women are silly. This is an adjective here describing these kind of women that fall for this kind of religion. And we, as men, don't want any in our assembly. So we're responsible for our wives and our daughters. Silly women are defenseless women, feeble-minded women, intellectually weak women, foolish, vulnerable women. And if you look at what the programs that churches have today... So many of them are geared toward the women. Women's Bible studies, ever learning. Women's seminars, ever learning. Go to a Christian bookstore and stand at the front door and do a little survey for me. Stand there for one hour and come back and tell me the ratio of women to men that went in that Christian bookstore beside Farmore on Haywood Road. I've done it. Have you? Women ever learning, and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. False religion appeals to women and seeks after women. When true Christianity goes after the men, because it's the heads of households, the fathers and the husbands, that will make a congregation great and that will affect a nation and where lives can be changed. Now, there are women that can do a job. And in the Bible, they're called holy women. Abigail was one and Sarah's one. The only time holy and woman is applied together is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, 1 Peter chapter 3, 5 and 6. It's about Sarah. She was a holy woman. You don't have to be a silly woman, but to be a holy woman means you're the opposite of this. These lusts that these women are described with, led away with divers' lusts, are the lust for learning to get out of their role, which is the case today. The women want to go to seminars and want to go to studies and want to buy books so that they can try to be the spiritual leaders in the home. Because the men have abdicated their role. The Bible doesn't say, Mothers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It says, Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And women, if you want to learn anything, go to the local Christian bookstore. No. Ask your husbands at home. Enough on that. You know what Romans chapter 12 says? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. This is a Christianity conforming itself to the world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what the Lord's calling us to. He says in Ephesians chapter 5 that we ought to be wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. If we waste our time fighting windmills, we are not wise. We have to buy back our time. We have to get rid of things in order for us to use our time because the days are evil. And if Paul said them then, The days are worse now because in this chapter, for your benefit, in verse 13, it said that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's worse. So we've got to redeem the time and apply ourselves to the spiritual conflict that we have in our very homes and in our very lives. If we'll choose to hate these things and to not let them cleave to us, We will have apostolic Christianity in this church. But if we're not careful, if we're not vigilant, if we don't hate these things, we're going to end up with the Christianity that Paul would tell Timothy, turn away from it. Turn away from it. And if Timothy has to turn away from it, our Lord will turn away from us also. Do you want to challenge? Do you want to be challenged? Eliminate... These 20 things from your life and your family's life, that is a challenge. Pride, you're going to have to hammer yourself and your children to love others more than themselves and not to think highly of themselves. That means you're going to have to combat an educational system that is obsessed with flattering your children into thinking they've got potential and are great and should esteem themselves and should understand all their gifts. Instead, we've got to humble our children and teach them how to love others and esteem others more important than themselves, just picking on pride there for a second. You want to challenge? Eliminate these things from your family. I've had two goals this morning, and I pray that everyone will seriously consider and weigh what's been said. Do not let Satan distract us into fighting things that the apostle or the Bible anywhere ever told us to fight that are satanic distractions. And instead, let us apply ourselves completely to eliminating these 20 things from our lives that we can be the godly Christians we're we're supposed to be. This was a vision. This was a prophecy. It has occurred. We're living in the middle of perilous times. Will we turn away from them and not let it cleave to us as we read in Psalm 101? May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.